Section 7 of Letters of Mrs. Adams, Volume 1, by Charles Francis Adams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. Section 7, The Letters, 1775, Part 2. Braintree, 25 June, 1775. To John Adams. Dearest friend, my father has been more afflicted by the destruction of Charlestown than by anything which has heretofore taken place. Why should not his countenance be sad, when the city, the place of his father's sepulchre, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Scarcely one stone remaineth upon another. But in the midst of sorrow we have abundant cause of thankfulness, that so few of our brethren were numbered with the slain, whilst our enemies were cut down like the grass before the scythe. But one officer of all the Welsh fusiliers remains to tell his story. Many poor wretches die for want of proper assistance and care of their wounds. Every account agrees in fourteen or fifteen hundred slain and wounded upon their side, nor can I learn that they dissemble the number themselves. We had some heroes that day, who fought with amazing intrepidity and courage. Extremity is the trier of spirits, common chances common men can bear. And when the sea is calm, all boats alike show mastership in floating. But fortune's blows, when most struck home, being bravely warded, crave a noble cunning. I hear that General Howe has said that the battle upon the plains of Abram was but a bauble to this. When we consider all the circumstances attending this action, we stand astonished that our people were not all cut off. They had but one hundred feet entrenched. The number who were engaged did not exceed eight hundred, and they, with not half ammunition enough, the reinforcement not able to get to them seasonably. The tide was up, and high, so that their floating batteries came upon each side of the causeway, and their row galleys kept a continual fire. Added to this, the fire from Copse Hill and from the ships, the town in flames all around them, and the heat from the flames so intense as scarcely to be borne, the day one of the hottest we have had this season, and the wind blowing the smoke in their faces. Only figure to yourself all these circumstances, and then consider that we do not count sixty men lost. My heart overflows at the recollection. We live in continual expectation of hostilities, scarcely a day that does not produce some. But, like good Nehemiah, having made our prayer unto God, and set the people with their swords, their spears, and their bows, we will say unto them, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. I have just received yours of the 17th of June, in seven days only. Every line from that far country is precious. You do not tell me how you do, but I will hope better. 
Alas, you little thought what distress we were in the day you wrote. They delight in molesting us upon the Sabbath. Two Sabbaths we have been in such alarm that we have had no meeting. This day we have sat under our own vine in quietness, have heard Mr. Taft from Psalms, The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. The good man was earnest and pathetic. I could forgive his weakness for the sake of his sincerity, but I long for a Cooper and an Elliot. I want a person who has feeling and sensibility, who can take one up with him, and in his duty, prompt at every call, can watch and weep and pray and feel for all. Mr. Rice joins General Heath's regiment tomorrow as adjutant. Your brother is very desirous of being in the army, but your good mother is really violent against it. I cannot persuade nor reason her into a consent. Neither he nor I dare let her know that he is trying for a place. My brother has a captain's commission and is stationed at Cambridge. I thought you had the best of intelligence, or I should have taken pains to be more particular. As to Boston, there are many persons yet there who would be glad to get out if they could. Mr. Boylston and Mr. Gill, the printer, with his family, are held upon the blacklist, it is said. Tis certain they watch them so narrowly that they cannot escape. Mr. Mather got out a day or two before Charlestown was destroyed, and had lodged his papers and what else he got out at Mr. Carey's, but they were all consumed. So were many other peoples, who thought they might trust their little there till teams could be procured to remove them. The people from the almshouse and workhouse were sent to the lines last week to make room for their wounded, they say. Medford people are all removed. Every seaport seems in motion. Oh, North, may the groans and cries of the injured and oppressed harrow up thy soul. We have a prodigious army, but we lack many accommodations, which we need. I hope the appointment of these new generals will give satisfaction. They must be proof against calumny. In a contest like this, continual reports are circulated by our enemies, and they catch with the unwary and the gaping crowd, who are ready to listen to the marvelous, without considering of consequences, even though their best friends are injured. I have not ventured to inquire one word of you about your return. I do not know whether I ought to wish for it. It seems as if your sitting together was absolutely necessary, whilst every day is big with events. Mr. Bedoin called Friday and took his leave of me, desiring I would present his affectionate regards to you. I have hopes that he will recover. He has mended a good deal. He wished he could have stayed in Braintree, but his lady was fearful. Yours evermore, Portia. Braintree, 5 July, 1775, to John Adams. I have received a good deal of paper from you. I wish it had been more covered. The writing is very scant. Yet I must not grumble. I know your time is not yours nor mine. 
your labors must be great and your mouth closed. But all you may communicate, I beg you would. There is a pleasure, I know not whence it arises, nor can I stop now to find it out. But I say, there is a degree of pleasure in being able to tell news, especially any that so nearly concerns us, as all your proceedings do. I should have been more particular, but I thought you knew everything that passed here. The present state of the inhabitants of Boston is that of the most abject slaves, under the most cruel and despotic of tyrants. Among many instances I could mention, let me relate one. Upon the 17th of June, printed handbills were posted up at the corners of the streets and upon houses, forbidding any inhabitants to go upon their houses or upon any eminence on pain of death. The inhabitants dared not to look out of their houses, nor to be heard or seen to ask a question. Our prisoners were brought over to the long wharf, and there lay all night without any care of their wounds or any resting place but the pavements, until the next day when they exchanged it for the jail, since which we hear they are civilly treated. Their living cannot be good, as they can have no fresh provisions. Their beef, we hear, is all gone, and their own wounded men die very fast, so that they have a report that the bullets were poisoned. Fish they cannot have. They have rendered it so difficult to procure, and the admiral is such a villain as to oblige every fishing schooner to pay a dollar every time it goes out. The money that has been paid for passes is incredible. Some have given ten, twenty, thirty, and forty dollars to get out with a small proportion of their things. It is reported and believed that they have taken up a number of persons and committed them to jail. We know not for what in particular. Master Lovell is confined in the dungeon. A son of Mr. Edie's is in jail, and one Wybert, a ship carpenter, is now upon trial for his life. God alone knows to what length these wretches will go, and will, I hope, restrain their malice. I would not have you be distressed about me. Danger, they say, makes people valiant. Hitherto I have been distressed, but not dismayed. I have felt for my country and her sons, and have bled with them and for them. Not all the havoc and devastation they have made has wounded me like the death of Warren. We want him in the Senate. We want him in his profession. We want him in the field. We mourn for the citizen, the senator, the physician, and the warrior. May we have others raised up in his room. I have had a very kind and friendly visit from our dear friends, Colonel Warren, lady, and son. Mrs. Warren spent almost a week with me, and he came and met her here, and kept Sabbath with me. I suppose she will write to you, though she says you are in her debt. You scarcely make mention of Dr. Franklin. Surely he must be a valuable member. Pray, what is become of your Judas? I see he is not with you upon the list of delegates. I wish I could come and see you. 
I never suffer myself to think you are about returning soon. Can it? Will it be? May I ask? May I wish for it? When once I expect you, the time will crawl till I see you. But hush, do you know it is eleven o'clock at night? We have had some very fine rain since I wrote you last. I hope we shall not now have famine added to war. Grain, grain is what we want here. Meat we have enough and to spare. Pray don't let Bass forget my pins. Hardwick has applied to me for Mr. Bass to get him a hundred of needles, number six, to carry on his stocking weaving. We shall very soon have no coffee, nor sugar, nor pepper here, but whortleberries and milk we are not obliged to commerce for. Good night. With thoughts of thee do I close my eyes. Angels guard and protect thee, and may a safe return ere long. Bless thy Portia. Braintree, 16 July, 1775. To John Adams. Dearest friend, I have seen your letters to Colonels Palmer and Warren. I pity your embarrassments. How difficult the task to quench the fire and pride of private ambition, and to sacrifice ourselves and all our hopes and expectations to the public weal. How few have souls capable of so noble an undertaking! How often are the laurels worn by those who have had no share in earning them! But there is a future recompense of reward, to which the upright man looks, and which he will most assuredly obtain, provided he perseveres unto the end. The appointment of the generals Washington and Lee gives universal satisfaction. The people have the highest opinion of Lee's abilities, but you know the continuation of the popular breath depends much upon favorable events. I had the pleasure of seeing both the generals and their aides de camp soon after their arrival, and of being personally made known to them. They very politely expressed their regard for you. Major Mifflin said he had orders from you to visit me at Braintree. I told him I should be very happy to see him there, and accordingly sent Mr. Thaxter to Cambridge with a card to him and Mr. Reed to dine with me. Mrs. Warren and her son were to be with me. They very politely received the message and lamented that they were not able to come upon account of expresses which they were on that day to get in readiness to send off. I was struck with General Washington. You had prepared me to entertain a favorable opinion of him, but I thought the half was not told me. Dignity with ease and complacency, the gentleman and soldier, look agreeably blended in him. Modesty marks every line and feature of his face. Those lines of Dryden instantly occurred to me. Mark his majestic fabric, he's a temple, sacred by birth and built by hands divine. His soul's the deity that lodges there, nor is the pile unworthy of the god. General Lee looks like a careless, hardy veteran, and by his appearance brought to my mind his namesake, Charles the Twelfth of Sweden. The elegance of his pen far exceeds that of his person. You have made frequent complaints that your friends do not write to you. I have stirred up some of them. May not I in my turn make complaints? 
all the letters I receive from you seem to be written in so much haste that they scarcely leave room for a social feeling. They let me know that you exist, but some of them contain scarcely six lines. I want some sentimental effusions of the heart. I am sure you are not destitute of them, or are they all absorbed in the great public? Much is due to that, I know, but being part of the public, I lay claim to a larger share than I have had. You used to be more communicative on Sundays. I always loved a Sabbath's day letter, for then you had a greater command of your time. But hush to all complaints. I am much surprised that you have not been more accurately informed of what passes in the camps. As to intelligence from Boston, it is but very seldom we are able to collect anything that may be relied on, and to report the vague flying rumors would be endless. I heard yesterday by one Mr. Rolston, a goldsmith, who got out in a fishing schooner, that their distress increased upon them fast. Their beef is all spent, their malt and cider all gone. All the fresh provisions they can procure they are obliged to give to the sick and wounded. Thirteen of our men who were in jail and were wounded at the Battle of Charlestown were dead. No man dared now to be seen talking to his friend in the street. They were obliged to be within every evening at ten o'clock, according to martial law, nor could any inhabitant walk any street in town after that time without a pass from Gage. He has ordered all the molasses to be distilled up into rum for the soldiers, taken away all licenses and given out others, obliging to a forfeiture of ten pounds if any rum is sold without written orders from the general. He gives much the same account of the killed and wounded we have from others. The spirit, he says, which prevails among the soldiers is a spirit of malice and revenge. There is no true courage and bravery to be observed among them. Their duty is hard, always mounting guard with their packs at their backs, ready for an alarm which they live in continual hazard of. Dr. Elliot is not on board a man of war, as has been reported, but perhaps was left in town as the comfort and support of those who cannot escape. He was constantly with our prisoners. Messrs. Lovell and Leach, with others, are certainly in jail. A poor milch cow was last week killed in town, and sold for a shilling sterling per pound. The transports arrived last week from York, but every additional man adds to their distress. There has been a little expedition this week to Long Island, note in Boston Harbor. There have been before several attempts to go on, but three men of war lay near, and cutters all round the island, so that they could not succeed. A number of whale-boats lay at Germantown. Three hundred volunteers, commanded by one Captain Tupper, came on Monday evening and took the boats, went on, and brought off seventy-odd sheep, fifteen head of cattle, and sixteen prisoners, thirteen of whom were sent, by simple sapling, to mow the hay, which they had very badly executed. They were all asleep in the house and barn. When they were taken, 
there were three women with them. Our heroes came off in triumph, not being observed by their enemies. This spirited up others, who could not endure the thought that the house and barn should afford them any shelter. They did not destroy them the night before, for fear of being discovered. Captain Wilde of this town, with about twenty-five of his company, Captain Gold of Weymouth, with as many of his, and some other volunteers, to the amount of a hundred, obtained leave to go on and destroy the hay together with the house and barn. And in open day, in full view of the men of war, they set off from the moon, so called, note the name given to a small island in Boston Harbor, covered by a number of men who were placed there, went on and set fire to the buildings and hay. A number of armed cutters immediately surrounded the island and fired upon our men. They came off with a hot and continued fire upon them, the bullets flying in every direction, and the men-of-war's boats plying them with small arms. Many in this town who were spectators expected every moment our men would all be sacrificed, for sometimes they were so near as to be called and damned by their enemies, and ordered to surrender. Yet they all returned in safety, not one man even wounded. Upon the moon we lost one man from the cannon on board the man-of-war. On the evening of the same day a man-of-war came and anchored near Great Hill, and two cutters came to Pig Rocks. It occasioned an alarm in this town, and we were up all night. They remained there yet, but have not ventured to land any men. This town have chosen their representative. Colonel Palmer is the man. There was a considerable muster upon Thayer's side, and Vinton's company marched up in order to assist, but got sadly disappointed. Newcomb insisted upon it that no man should vote who was in the army. He had no notion of being under the military power, said we might be so situated as to have the greater part of the people engaged in the military, and then all power would be wrested out of the hands of the civil magistrate. He insisted upon its being put to a vote, and carried his point immediately. It brought Thayer to his speech, who said all he could against it. As to the situation of the camps, our men are in general healthy, much more so at Roxbury than at Cambridge, and the camp is in vastly better order. General Thomas has the character of an excellent officer. His merit has certainly been overlooked, as modest merit generally is. I hear General Washington is much pleased with his conduct. Every article here in the West India Way is very scarce and dear. In six weeks we shall not be able to purchase any article of the kind. I wish you would let Bass get me one pound of pepper and two yards of black calamanco for shoes. I cannot wear leather if I go barefoot. Bass may make a fine profit if he lays in a stock for himself. You can hardly imagine how much we want many common small articles which are not manufactured amongst ourselves, but we will have them in time, not one pin to be purchased for love or money. I wish you could convey me a thousand by any friend traveling this way. 
it is very provoking to have such a plenty so near us but tantalus like not be able to touch i should have been glad to have laid in a small stock of the west india articles but i cannot get one copper no person thinks of paying anything and i do not choose to run into debt we have not yet been much distressed for grain everything at present looks blooming oh that peace would once more extend her olive branch this day be bread and peace my lot all else beneath the sun thou knowest if best bestowed or not and let thy will be done but is the almighty ever bound to please build by my wish or studious of my ease shall i determine where his frown shall fall and fence my grotto from the lot of all prostrate his sovereign wisdom i adore entreat his mercy but i dare no more i have now written you all i can collect from every quarter tis fit for no eyes but yours because you can make all necessary allowances i cannot copy there are yet in town three of the select men and some thousands of inhabitants tis said i hope to hear from you soon do let me know if there is any prospect of seeing you next wednesday is thirteen weeks since you went away i must bid you adieu you have many friends though they have not noticed you by writing i am sorry they have been so negligent i hope no share of that blame lies upon your most affectionate portia end of section seven